Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. As you probably saw in the show notes and, uh, you know, had a bit of a read there, we're being joined by one of my old uh, squadron co-mates, Australian Air Force pilot, John Morgs. Morgan, how are you doing, Morgs? Thanks, Mellon. Lovely to catch up again. Yeah, bloody good to see. It's been too long between beers, that's for sure. And we've got a regular two idiots. Mike, how are you, mate? Mike's doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I just enjoyed the banter as always before the show. Uh, you know, two things. I'm looking at Raph right now. Well, actually, I'm looking at everybody. John's the most properly dressed. He's wearing a, a, a collared shirt the way it's supposed to be. It's not popped up like Cunt Chocula, like Melon usually does. Uh, Raph is wearing a Star Wars shirt. literally says scum across it. And I was like, wow, how, how fitting. And he's in California. So it matches up beautifully. Uh, Melon, <laughs> Jesus, uh, 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 Nike sleeveless athletic shirt. And he's sitting in an office. I mean, I talk about dreams. You know, I, I don't even know, but, uh, I'll call myself out before they do just because, uh, I like, I don't like walking into ambushes. Uh, I am wearing my American flag bandana. It's a great weekend. It's a reunion for a lot of my teammates getting to see old friends coming into town, paying homage to our teammates we've lost. Uh, and, uh, it's just a really good time. And actually, as soon as we finish recording, I'm going out with, uh, uh, Rico from last, uh, uh, week four's episode. And, uh, we're going to go out on his boat and get some fishing in for a couple hours and just spend some time and talk about some, uh, responses that we've got, uh, from the show. It was really good. And, uh, you know, it was just really cool to, to be around Rico, uh, after he's, he shared his story. So that's anyway, I'll shut up. I'm having a improper tinny, a bubbly sparkling water. It's not a proper cause there's no alcohol in it. Uh, so, uh, cheers. So Mike, who are the other guys coming dressed as? It's obviously 80s hair metal dress up. Are they coming as like Bon Jovi? And- oh, 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 okay. There's the, uh, there's the. Uh- I picture Rico dressed as uh, Captain Stabbing, but maybe, maybe I don't know him as well as I do. Ooh, he might have a captain's hat. I might have to ask him. I don't know. I don't know. The Brett Michael Sailor version uh, is definitely coming out, but uh, I don't know if there's any other 80s, 80s. Uh- characters coming out today i don't know it just might be uh a little motley crew of our own <laughs> and and raf you're in uh sunny california mate visiting the grandparents great to see yeah, you yeah. Been? yeah i've been uh trying to wrangling in this uh half breed that keeps running around butt naked um here in tito nana's house which is which has been pretty fun uh one of my sisters came in from out of town too for the last couple of days so we've just been busy just you know hanging out talking story eating way more than we probably should um it's just it's been a good time mate like it's it's really just and it's a, it's a quick it was a quick trip it was very um I, I had i had like a window of time where i had you know time aubrey was going to go on a girl's trip and uh so i just thought well instead of just sitting at home i'll just i'll head down to socal so that's what i did and have you been having some handmade burrito breads done the Oof. old way dude it's ridiculous how good i mean it's yeah she's been my mom's been pampering us pretty good man like just stupid good food and coincidentally soren loves her her rice so she genuinely just makes like this giant pot of rice and he just 
dude, I think he just cleaned it out yesterday. And it's like, he'll eat like five servings throughout the day. Like he just, it's like, we have to like force him to eat something else, but it's always with the side of her rice. It's pretty funny. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah. He's a so, little savage. So I'll dive in and do a little uh, bit of an uh, intro here for Morgs. Morgs joined the Australian Air Force in 01, trained as a pilot, direct entry like I did. Uh, in 2004, he came and that's when we met. I was the uh, crew captain on a, a P3 squadron and he was my co-pilot. We, we did a combat tour uh, over Iraq at that time. He then stuck around and made his way through uh, the system and got his own crew and deployed as a captain uh, and had his own combat tour, I think, as a captain. In 2009, he was selected for uh, instructor's course, so two tours as a captain when, uh, on instructor's course in 2009. At uh, 2011, he was selected to go back to Central Flying School uh, where the Australian Instructor course is run. And in 2012, he was promoted and became a flight commander. In 2014, he was selected for the Australian Air Force display team called the Roulettes. And he displayed with the Roulettes for three years. And then in 2019, uh, the Australian Air Force was seeing in the T-21, John had... Uh, a health challenge come up and that's probably the background information about John that's uh, going to be the basis for the conversation we're having today. So John is joining us from country Victoria. We've got Raf in California. I'm in Saudi and Mike's on the East Coast. So it was a, literally a four time zone uh, stretch to meet up. Did I miss any key career points there, Morgs? Um, I think you've done a pretty good job there, Melon. Um, we'll go with Morgs or Jonathan if we can. Cool. So the other and, thing about um, that he was this, he's a, a volunteer firefighter for years. You still do that? Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we might come to that if we have time, and we can keep things on track. But uh, we'll see how we go. So John, maybe you could just um, sort of talk to us here, because one of the key things that comes out when we talk and uh john's a or morgs is a, a listener of the, the not your average operator episodes as well is sharing the hard times that every person inevitably inevitably goes through and when we do go through it often we think you know, we're the first person or we're one of the very few people who's having a hard time and morgs approached me after listening to a couple of the pushing back chaos and not your average operator episodes and um yeah we chatted about his situation and he very kindly volunteered to come and have a, have a talk to us and share about someone who's in an otherwise really high performing role who now has been dealt a different or a difficult set of cards to play and so maybe more so you could tell the guys about the diagnosis and and what it was that um when your life changed in 2019 yeah, thanks. Um, and thanks, everyone, for the opportunity. Um, thanks for what you've been doing so far and what I imagine you will do for uh, everyone out there listening as things move forward. So, yeah, diving in, um, 2001 was the year when I finally uh, marched in to being an Air Force pilot, or at least that's where my journey started. Um, little backstory that I'll keep as brief as can be 
I had tried a couple of years earlier to um, get into the army as a helicopter pilot because all good helicopter pilots know if it doesn't hover, you don't bother. I see you. Don't anyway. encourage. Look at him. Look at him smiling to himself. <laughs> I I know where it is, Draft. It's all right. Eagles, of course, he had a thing. So, um, yeah, there I was in high school trying to figure out what the future morgue's life looked like and um, joining the army was it, except I'd done no prep and had uh, an epic fail on the army aptitude test, which I thought was the test to work out whether I was going to be in the trenches or um, artillery or being a helicopter pilot up in the sky. So, yeah, hot tip, you shouldn't uh, second-guess the psych eval assessment <laughs> the, that's the one with questions like when you're standing on a high building do you feel like jumping off <laughs> well I want to be a pilot so hell yeah <laughs> I didn't make it past morning tea More. <laughs> um, you don't have what the army is looking for at this point uh, thank you very much for your time you may reapply but no sooner than 12 months thank you <laughs> so off I, uh, off I went I went off to university and um, started a civilian flying career where I met an elderly gentleman who was retired Air Force, who was a bit of an agitator in the general aviation game at the time. Um, and he encouraged me to join the Air Force. So yeah, fast forward from that little story to 2001, where I went through the usual pipeline, except that uh, my journey involved a little bit of spare time uh, between graduating pilot's course and posting over to uh, where I would eventually meet Mellon at uh, the P3 squadrons in uh, beautiful South Australia. Yeah. Picked up all sorts of experience, amazing trips, hard times. Um, it was a challenging, rewarding um and life-changing time of or period of my life. Um, it wasn't without its downfalls, struggles, um, but we took the wins and the losses. And overall, on balance, I think um, my wife and I uh, really enjoyed our time in South Australia. A uh, quick little bit of intro now that we're halfway into the story. Um, I'm now married to Rachel. Uh, we have two beautiful daughters, Stephanie and Isabel, who are 12 and 10. I married Rachel in the period between returning from my last operational deployment to the Middle East before starting pilot uh, flying instructors course uh, back then in 2009. It happened to be on our 10th anniversary of becoming a couple. Took your time, Muffin. <laughs> it, uh, it was. It, uh, it was an interesting journey for us. Um, we, we met um, at our high school jobs, effectively. So uh, for those stateside, you might appreciate the best thing for me to come out of Target's aisle 14 was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so 
there I was in uh, 2009 um, being thought how to teach the next generation of pilots. Uh, fast forward a couple of years and I'm back there at uh, the Central Flying School teaching the next generation of flying instructors for defence. And as you uh, covered off on your intro there, Melon, thanks. I um, was incredibly fortunate to both uh, be promoted and demoted and enjoy uh, quite an extended and extensive experience with the roulette display team. In 2019, life was uh, looking pretty good. I don't think it got to look much better, to be quite frank. Um, having been a P3 pilot, of course, I knew that I'd already experienced the pinnacle of aviation. <laughs> I, uh, especially I getting to fly with Melon, you know, that I'm sure that was the pinnacle was like, I get to That's... sit in the seat next to this guy they call Melon with the big freaking head. Yeah. That's that's the pinnacle. It doesn't yeah. get any better. <laughs> do, you, do you remember, Melon, the uh, banter about the P3M? The P3M with a slightly enlarged cockpit? Yeah, big enough for the Melon head. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to indulge. Uh, send it sit from raf and i send it everything that you got against this man (laughs) turn himself from a proper a proper turd into the worst sounding hair slick pilot you can you can effectively describe i don't think i have to do anything he just does it himself (laughs) it's a team sport (laughs) i just it just it just dawned on me who Melon is dressed like this morning? Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember uh, Dodgeball, the movie with Ben Stiller? Ben Stiller's kind of like the nemesis of, of the whole group, and he's got the. Of course, Ben Stiller's character is wearing like that tight speedo like uh, shirt that Melon is wearing, right? Except his colors were purple and black. Oh, that's and right. The, what was it? And, Globo Jim, right? Yeah. And he, yep. And he had the inflatable crotch <laughs> uh, in the other the speedo bottoms. I'm sure. I'm not going to ask Melon to stand up, but I'm almost certain if i could bet money on it yeah i'm not looking i'm not looking <laughs> look away sit down sit yeah. down nobody wants to look at that that's who he is dude. he's the owner of globo gym he's uh it's more like hobo gym look at him <laughs> <laughs> you done now for now is telling morgs is telling a really interesting story just then about how good it was to fly with me <laughs> and uh we just got we just got the 2019 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there we are in uh, in 2019. I've been uh, dealing over the years, um, more particularly the more recent ones when I was finishing up my time flying with the roulettes, um, carrying forward a few unserviceabilities. So for the pilot types, you may be familiar with the CFU, carried forward unserviceability this is one of those little gripes or niggles that the aircraft or machine has that isn't really critical to flight safety um it might take an extended period or involve um, some deeper maintenance so these sorts of things included weird stuff like um i'd hurt my knee going out and doing a 
gymnastics come and try day with the kids. Um, the knee injury had been dealt with and healed. But my, uh, my good, uh, good friends and colleagues who would see us in and out of the flight line, the maintenance team would watch me walk in and out of the flight line building to the aircraft. And when I'd get back at the end of the flight, they'd say things to me like, Morgs, you're limping and it looks like it's getting worse. You really should get that checked out. Oh, it's nothing. It's just my, uh, my square wheel from the knee injury. And reluctantly, I did it eventually get that CFU checked out. One of the other big areas that I was noticing some problems with um, that I had been carrying forward is my mental health. I've previously described it as being a bit of a roller coaster ride that you otherwise might enjoy because the bumps get bigger. Well, for me, it wasn't particularly enjoyable because the bumps were sure getting bigger. The ups were up, but the downs were getting downer. And um, they went to some pretty dark places. So at my annual health assessment in 2019, at the suggestion of a physiotherapist who'd been trying to address my limp, who I think, uh, to their credit, knew what was going on, but went about their job professionally and said, I think you need to talk to the doctor about what is going on with your limp and these other things that you're telling me about, like pins and needles down my arm. Every now and then, I'd get the urge to go to the loo a little bit of wee would come out and then walk away feeling frustrated, thinking, I used to be able to fly for 10 hours without going to the toilet. Round and round in circles, while Melon would disappear down the back and make another burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to hold the foot, and uh, when the captain's away, anyhow... Not more than five minutes after squeezing a few drops out, I'd be back there again. All this culminated in the doctor looking at me sternly and saying, well, I think we should approach this systematically. We'll start by ruling a few things out. I'm going to send you off to a neurologist. Hmm, neurologist. That's, um, they're like brain doctors, aren't they? Sure enough. Um, a neurologist is indeed a brain doctor. And the referral there was on the uh, pretense of ruling out Parkinson's disease. As a side note, at the same time that this was all going on, I was enjoying the shiny new toy that was our new training aircraft, dealing with all of the issues from a work perspective that that had brought up and on the trip away base to do some categorization checks as we do at central flying school before returning home i got a phone call from a rather distressed bed of three quarters who had just discovered unexpectedly that she'd fallen pregnant i thought 
be. Surely not. We've been... Actually, no, we haven't been that careful, and that would explain why. Anyhow, I'll spare you those details <laughs> for another episode at a different ratings slot. Yeah. <laughs> Long and short of it, um, we hadn't planned this. So to find out on an away base trip is not ideal. But at least she did the writing and picked up the phone because she needed to let me know. How do you reckon that flight went home with my buddy? I was uh, pretty keen for him to understand that I just had some awkward news from the home front and my concentration might be a little bit lax. So he would kind of need to keep a bit of an eye on me on our trip home. It was about an hour flight and uh, 20 minutes into the silence, um, curiosity got the better of him and he said, look, tell me what's going on, buddy. So with the HUD tape rolling, I confessed all. And uh, I'm glad I did because it helped settle my mind in preparation for the homecoming. My wife and I got comfortable with the situation over uh, the next little while and actually came to terms with what we were dealing with and made a decision that we would see this through. It was a blessing and an opportunity and we would, uh, we would take it. However, little were we to know, a couple of weeks later, things would start going south with her situation and the pregnancy, unfortunately, didn't see its you know, full term or not even close to it. Uh, we didn't make it out of the first trimester. I was awoken one morning to 2.30, to a blood-curdling scream. Poor, poor thing was uh, in the bathroom. The bleeding won't stop. The bleeding won't stop. What do I do? Well, I slipped into emergency mode and put that thin veil of operator on and uh, promptly started doing the best I could after calling the ambulance. So that was not ideal. It's a pretty traumatic and devastating experience. Mm. And for the ladies who have to go through that, let alone the, the men who are left wondering what they could have done or should have done, or perhaps how they can process this. It's another one of those topics, a little bit like mental health these days. It's just um, really difficult to talk about. I feel like that's one of the the last big taboos. I mean, there's lots of others, but I remember Cherry and I had a miscarriage before we had any while I was an instructor at uh, in Perth. And I found out on an away trip as well. And when I got back to the, the squadron, talk with a few mates you know just informally i think over a beer it turned out it was something like 80 percent of the guys in the unit had had a miscarriage of the guys who were all trying to have babies and it was just no one had ever talked with anyone else about it and it turned out we'd all been going through this very similar experience again feeling like you're the only one and this is 
it's one of those topics that's very hard to talk about. And certainly, as you say, it's absolutely devastating for the mum and it's traumatic for the partner as well and for the whole family. So I uh, certainly empathise with you there, John. Yeah. Um, going back to my previous uh, timeline, here I am in the hospital on the second visit because uh, after the miscarriage was dealt with and um, unfortunately one of our medical experiences wasn't particularly awesome, uh, something about bedside manner that uh, the doctor missed, I think, in uh, their education um, kind of left us feeling really empty and at a loss. You know, it's, uh, it's just a miscarriage. You can just go home and try again. Awesome. Thanks for yeah. the hot tip. Mm. So yes. uh, we, uh, we found ourselves back home trying to put together the pieces and make sense of what had just happened. And she's feeling a bit off and it's getting worse. So again, emergency mode kicks in and ambulance is called again and we're back in hospital. Her blood pressure's crashed. She's been sent home right on the lowest band of blood count and so forth. So this time... They're not taking any chances. It's blood transfusion territory. And she's uh, she's staying put in the hospital for a good couple of days. Now it's time for my specialist appointment. So I'm there holding the better three quarters hand, which is pale and clammy as she recovers from a blood transfusion. And I know something's wrong. I'm thinking, neurologist, it's either Parkinson's or I've got a brain cancer. And I haven't told, haven't told her anything about what's uh, what's been going on because we've been trying to process what was initially an unexpected pregnancy and then one that went south. So I don't try to labour the point, but just for context. You can imagine where I was at right then. The priority for me was not getting my CFUs sorted out. It was helping our family situation and trying to get my wife safely home as best as we could. Morgs, I, I just but want she to, knew something. So, sorry, yeah. I, I just want to, because I, I felt it as you just said it. I want to just commend you on your strength, because hearing that about your wife and, and, and the pregnancy, and then finding out that you know, your diagnosis and stuff and what's going on with you and your, I can't imagine like, the strength that you have to have to pull back from what maybe you want to do or how you want to act and, and dedicate yourself to, well, the only concern I had was my wife and going that, like you just said, your CFU was secondary. So like, to me as a man, I think we always get looked at, like we're always that solid pillar and we have it figure out and we can put up with everything. And what I felt when you were sharing that with me is just like, man, this guy's incredibly strong, but then maybe right there, there was like a crack in that pillar 
but you were like, I can't, I can't acknowledge that. And because of maybe society, maybe expectations as a man or whatever, man, but like, that is a massive, extremely massive blow to, it would be to anybody, but just to a, a man of being like, wow, I have to handle this. This is my responsibility and mine alone. And, and this feeling of just overwhelmingness, but there's just like, well, I don't have a way out. I have to deal with it. And the way you're choosing is like your wife over yourself. I just want to commend you for that. I mean, that is extreme strength. That's a strong man right there, man. So I, f- I felt that when you, when you, when you said that, um, but please continue. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah. So it, um, to me at the time, my wife was the strong one of the two of us. Um, I was, things were really starting to unravel for me. And uh, that's where I was sitting in the, uh, the hospital with her thinking, I just can't go and get this specialist appointment because I can't see it being good news. The doctor had told me that we were going to rule things out. I'd, uh, Unfortunately, Dr. Google had got the better of me and I'd already researched what it was to be diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, I'll spare you the poor American uh, accent, um, but uh, there's some eminent professors and uh, neurologists who are keynote speakers who addressed how to diagnose Parkinson's and I think of the six common things they look for, I was ticking three or four of the boxes and you only need two or three to be diagnosed. So that's where I was. So I said to, uh, I said to my wife, look, I'm not going to the appointment. I'm going to stay here with you till you're um, properly better and happy back at home. To her credit, her uh, her strength and tenacity shone through, and she said, "Look, I know something's up. I'm okay now. They've they've got me on the mend. I'm stable. My parents are coming down. Um, it's all good. You need to go and get checked out." She knew something was up too, and I wasn't telling her, so that needed to get addressed. So off I went. The next day, my mother came down from Melbourne to look after our two beautiful daughters. Well, my wife's parents kept watch on her in the hospital. I got in the car and drove two, two and a half hours to see the specialist on my own. The neurologist, lovely gentleman, again, unfortunately, might have missed some of the class on bedside manner, pretty much took one look at me and said, yep, you've got Parkinson's. I broke down in his office in his little consulting suite there. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said quietly, why are you so upset? It won't kill you. I knew as a pilot, I had three to five years, according to our Civil Aviation Safety Authority, on average between diagnosis and the medications being what they are um, incompatible with flying, things were not looking good for me. I didn't tell him that uh, things were as bad as wife in hospital and hopes and dreams were just crushed. Um, my otherwise stellar career and amazing position that I had been enjoying 
had uh, all come crashing down. So I guess I get to drive home now. The longest two and a half hour drive I've ever done, I've got to tell you. Uh, it took a couple of stops and a bit of trying to get home safely, but I did. Whatever I realised, I now have to tell my dear mum that I've got Parkinson's disease after we've just had a miscarriage. So, mum, it's bloody Parkinson's disease. She couldn't believe it and uh, couldn't rationalise the situation. I said, oh, well, shaky future for a pilot i'm off to hospital now and that was pretty much my way of dealing with it at the time i moved fairly quickly from grief somewhere along the two and a half hour road trip through to humor and parked it i uh i got to the hospital and walked up the stairs at um, some late hour after visiting hours only to pass my parents-in-law, as they were leaving, they knew I'd been to see the specialist. They knew something was up and I didn't feel it was right to tell their daughter um, my situation without giving them a bit of a warning about where I was. So that left them in an awkward spot midway down the stairs too. And yeah, it, uh, it was a testing time. Um, to this day, I think... As a couple, we're probably still dealing with some of the fallout from two traumas, effectively. Um, this is now how I realise it and rationalise the effect that it's had. Um, at the time, I didn't know what was going on with my mental health. The diagnosis of Parkinson's was actually, on reflection, a pivotal time in my life. It's not exactly when the switch was flicked and I'm not sure that I can put a finger on just a particular time, but this chapter in my life is when things really turned around. The diagnosis, as odd as it sounds, was a good thing. It made sense of what was going on. I could rationalise why my mental health was this escalating roller coaster of depression and helplessness. In young onset Parkinson's disease, mental health issues are a common symptom, let alone for a military person who's been through what we go through or a first responder. Um, as Melon touched on briefly in the intro there, I've hosed people off the train after they've gone through and done what I was contemplating from time to time when things were really bad. The circle kept going round and round. But when I got the diagnosis, it made sense. I was happy to take the pills now and be granted for 12 months. Um, initially, the medical fraternity in, in, uh, in the Air Force. Sorry, Melon. I was just going to say, can we just tell people maybe just a little bit about what Parkinson's is? Now, my understanding is that it's a neurological disease that affects your motor skills and that and occasionally can also affect um thinking uh, memory other skills like that can show up as tremors 
and a bit of difficulty with mobility is a common initial symptom and it can progress and become debilitating in some situations. There's a couple of different types of medicine that can be taken that treat those um, issues. And my understanding is that the dose does need to increase over time. And there's sometimes a change to a second medicine and that there's some side effects that come from that medication that it's, it's uncommon for guys to continue flying, although there are some exceptions. Would that be a fairly, I know I've probably missed a lot of the detail. Would that be a fair description of just the, the broad brush? Is there any other parts that I've, that you could uh, explain for the listeners? Yeah. Thanks, Melon. Um, no, I think that's probably a good summary. Again, I could talk for probably an hour just on Parkinson's disease and, uh, and my experience. Um, the best analogy I have that I would probably only add to what you've already described is um, every individual's journey is different, um, generally speaking. There are common things that happen, for example, like some of the symptoms that you've described that I've touched on with a limp or a shuffle um, lack of fine motor skill. Um, that's actually why the Wii comes out sometimes. Um, I'm reminded by my wife that that's a normal thing for women who've had uh, the experience of childbirth. So uh, if you're out there and the Wii comes out, um, I'm not imagining that I'm special because it does for me. The more uh, relevant point was um, I've gone over a hill. I don't know how steep the hill is and I don't know how far down the hill goes. That's my journey with Parkinson's. Is that, so, to, is that to say, Morgs, that you know that there's going to be a, a physical decline in your future and you're not sure how fast the drop-off is or how rapidly that will occur? Is that sort of your analogy there? Yeah, so um, thanks to a lot of um, generous donations, research grants, um, and good work of many um, philanthropic organisations and uh, groups around the world, insert Huey Lewis and the news, the power of love here for uh, bonus points. Um, we know quite a bit about Parkinson's, but what we do know that uh, is a little bit less than ideal is that it is degenerative in that things will only get worse. They won't get better. Um, to this day, we still only have symptomatic treatment. That is to say, if mental health is an issue in my journey, um, the treatment for Parkinson's related mental health issues is pretty much the treatment for mental health issues. Go and see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, um, if I have physical symptoms, they're treated with physiotherapy, for example, um, neck and back minor injuries that I've enjoyed from riding the bang seat for so many years are exacerbated by the lack of muscle control that I have. So I now get um, a wicked tension thing in my shoulders just to uh, top off the sore neck and uh, lower back. But, um, that's all good. So, Morgs, I have a Please. I have a question for you. <clears throat> um, 
all of your all of your training and just to get in perspective right because all all of us on the on this conversation right now people that are listening to we we all started our journey we wanted to do our jobs you know whatever our passions and we did them and we were enjoying life and then something has all derailed us showed up in the, our our path and really just went the way that probably we never thought it would right so in, in this uh, example of you uh, with with your wife and then with Parkinson's, you're going from this very, uh, I'll say an elite pilot to be on the roulette team, you're an elite pilot, right? So um, very, very impressive as far as accomplishments, right? Uh, to go from that high level down to, you know, as you're describing, descending to the basement, right? So you're living on the rooftop, having a great time, and you're descending into a deep basement. <laughs> I always like to say, control what we can control, right? You can control who you are in a moment of, of victory or defeat. What is it like? And I've never asked this. What is it like when you stop, when you start losing control of your own body that you can't control that all the time? Can you still control your mind and how you're processing these things? as you progress uh in your life and how is that how does that affect you how, how does that when you wake up in the morning you know i can't control my body necessarily but how is it mentally how is it emotionally what gets you through it's uh it's a challenge mike but um that's one thing i might chuck in here in uh in addition to your things you can control and things you cannot, there is a bit of gray area in between, believe it or not, and they are the things that you can influence. So that's where I find the answer, I suppose, to your question in that um, waking up in the morning and having the pins and needles start right from the get-go just means that I need to be a bit more patient with my plan for the day. Um, when I get to the afternoon after not sleeping well, I know that uh, I'm going to be slower, that my fine, fine motor skill will be even more degraded than it is on an average day. So I, I can react. I can get angry. I can worry about the what ifs. It's not going to change the situation. It's outside our control, right? Mm-hmm. So the influence, the sphere of influence, I can influence the effect. So if I know that these things will occur, like you know, I, I need a bathroom break more regularly, how am I going to go and give a presentation to a pilot's course for an hour to an hour and a half? Well, you better be uh, clear on where the bathroom is and uh, make sure that you've taken care of business before you start and have an exit strategy for when you need to go. Yeah. So I don't know. Is that within my control? I, I can't control what my body does in some areas some of the time, and that's a little bit frustrating. But I can influence the effect on my psyche by being positive and having a... a uh, an optimistic outlook on life. You know, yes, I might pee my pants, but that'll be a funny joke. I can make something of that. <laughs> um, 
we've uh, we've got to get off the bathroom jokes. <laughs> before we started, yeah. before we started recording, you were talking about the P word and perspective. And yeah, yeah. I, I know that I know that in my hard times, definitely it has been very centering, and that has caused me a, to like release a lot of mental anguish when I've been able to find my perspective. And so, what were your points there? You were sharing with us before we started, but what has been a key for you? Yeah, thanks for bringing me back on track. Um, that probably won't be the last time. Um, the 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 uh, the the points around perspective. Um, I think largely your mindset is driven by how you see things. So I can see my situation as a terrible loss, or I can flip it and say, I've had a horrible setback, but it gives me an awesome opportunity. And that's where I've gone. So I've suffered the setback of effectively losing what was my dream job and my ideal career. But I've done that. You can't take that away. Parkinson's won't. Nobody can. And I, I won't be that guy in the bar or at the uh, the rehabilitation meeting saying how life's dealt me a horrible blow and it sucks because I'm missing out on all of this stuff. I've done it. And I get the opportunity to do whatever I choose now. I get to be the, the parent who's at home and does the schooling. Um, I'm incredibly fortunate as odd as that sounds, to have been diagnosed early and be treated as best as I can. I'm also incredibly fortunate to have been diagnosed whilst I'm in the service. Um, I won't go into all the details for the virtue of time. However, um, largely speaking, thanks to a little bit of pragmatic financial management before the diagnosis, and also our healthcare system and pension arrangements or insurance. Um, it looks as if in my medical discharge uh, forced retirement, I will largely not have to worry about paying the bills. Um, my kids' education is pretty much covered. The house is paid for. They're the couple of big ticket items in life that you probably otherwise would be worried about covering. I just want to take a second just to acknowledge Morgs for an unusual amount of strength that you've displayed in this story that you shared. There's the part that Mike picked up on earlier with wanting to look after your wife in the midst of your own hard time, you know, I think all of us can understand that, but also just this part here, the, the, the part about getting past the grief and upset into acceptance where you can get back to your power, where you can get back into focusing on the circle of influence. It all flows from that decision. Like to not take it as a victim. I can see the way you're talking and the messages you were sending me, like the word opportunities is not the, is not the word that someone else might use to describe the situation you're in. However, I, I hear what you're saying and I'm like, yeah, parenting, being around the kids. 
getting the treatment early and the diagnosis early. Like that was the case for us with cancer. But you, you can't start the treatment. You can't get onto the other side of it until you have the diagnosis. And if you put that medical appointment off and you never take action and, you know, you are at the you're always going to be in reaction. You never get back on the front foot and any sense of control yourself. Um, if you to have taken the steps you've taken in the background of paid your house off by now and to sort out your family finances, that's also unusual. Like I just want to really acknowledge the situation you've created for yourself other than or maybe the ability to deal with this you know, the mental strength that you have and the clearly the relationship you and Rachel have where, you know, you, we can never control those cards, but you've got the ability to control the perspective you have on the cards and it's very clear. And, you know, I, I don't know how I would go in your situation. I'm just really full of admiration for you when I'm hearing you talk about it. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, so... I guess to pick things up on a brighter note, where am where am I now and where am I going? Well, it's only up from here. Um, despite me saying I've gone over the hill and it's a long way down, and I don't know how quickly I'm going to go down the hill. Look, um, there'll be plenty of um, trouble with physical things, I'm sure. Um, there's all sorts of progress to be made in medical uh, fronts for treatment options. Um, there's some amazing brain surgery that you can uh, have a procedure done to basically put a pacemaker in your brain. Um, fabulous uh, results in some patients. Um, and yeah, the opportunities. So, and I've treated myself to a big kid's digger. I've got a big backyard that I've turned into Shrek's swamp. <laughs> I'm enjoying making set props for uh, the kids' primary school musical. I'm trying my hand at all sorts of things. And I would otherwise shy away from quoting things like Carpe Diem but I've got to tell you, there's something in that. I reckon they chose that for a reason. It's just now in a different context as I leave the military, um, seizing the day, doing today what you might otherwise have put off in a previous life till tomorrow. Um, having that opportunity is really uh, empowering. And the perspective, you've touched on these in previous episodes. Um, I think it was just last one, embrace the suck. I know that I'm going to suck at things for a period of time and then you go up the curve and things get a little bit better. So just roll with it. Things are going to be a little bit shit. <laughs> But it will get better only if you allow yourself the time to figure out how to get there. I took um, my last little bit of um, 
I suppose guidance from the the girls' school education, where they're trying to encourage a positive mindset or a growth mindset. The one thing Daddy got out of this, it's all about one word, and it's the power of yet. I can't do anything well. That's a negative statement. I can't do handstands yet. As soon as you put the word yet at the end of a negative statement, somehow it seems to be possible. I've explored the joys of neuroplasticity, um, a well-researched uh, subject that I'll very poorly paraphrase and say is basically rewiring your brain. Uh, in Parkinson's people, obviously this is particularly challenging as part of the issue neurologically is that the uh, chemical path that allows um, some of that neural processing to occur or the signaling to occur, sorry, is uh, where the issue lies. It's all about dopamine. So rewiring the brain. Parkinson's introduced me to neuroplasticity. Uh, the kids' education introduced me to a positive mindset. And my life experience told me that if you dig up, you're going to get out of the hole. And the view from the top of the hill, whilst it is amazing, can be matched only by the fun you have on the roller coaster ride back down. Fucking old morgues. It's it takes something to to have that perspective. It's it's easy to read it on a Hallmark card or one of those motivational posters on the wall, you know. And it's it's one of those things that's simple but difficult, you know, to have these perspectives and to apply some of this stuff around, you know, circle of influence and your circle of concern and being able to hold that perspective, that point you said at the start to us offline about it's all about how you measure things and it's it's always relative. It's never absolute. And being able to take those memories and experiences you've got in your, in your background, you know, you and I are doing... Uh, combat missions at night over Iraq where you're doing display flying with the roulettes and just to file them away and know that th those memories are yours, those experiences are yours and this current situation doesn't have anything, any power to affect any of that stuff and giving yourself the freedom to, to, the freedom to maneuver now in this space that you're in, looking forward for these opportunities that you're describing and finding a positive mindset out of a parent-teacher meeting or something with your kids, you know, it's just, it's just super inspiring and motivating to hear. And one of the things that we've been trying to do in our time in this podcast is to really normalize talking about these hard times, talking about the things that for some reason, we all lift the carpet up and sweep under and don't let anyone else know we're having a hard time. We think we're the only one. And yet when you look around, everyone has the hard times. I think it was Rico a couple of weeks ago was saying anyone who lives long enough is going to have tragedy. And at the end of their life, they're going to have to face their own mortality. And for him, that was his way of walking through life with a positive attitude, thinking about the people he's meeting, knowing that that other person's also suffering. And if they're not suffering now, they're either in the past or the future. 
And it's, you know, you said before to us that it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay not to say that when it is, when it is a hard time, you should be telling your mates and we should be the kind of friend who can put a hand on a shoulder and ask someone if they're okay and really be there for the answer and look to elicit when it is shit. Yeah. Go ahead. Mort. Yeah, just really quickly on that. Um, I, I think we sometimes hold back because of the perception that other people will have of us. Mm. We can be our own worst enemy in that space. Um, we should only judge ourselves by our own measure and how we react when things are down defines our character. So choose your own adventure wisely. Wow. <clears throat> uh, I, I would just like to jump in and just, you know, probably the last thing I'll say <laughs> with this, cause I just been, I love listening to you, man. Uh, you make me feel it's Sunday morning and I feel, I feel great about my life right now. <laughs> like I'm extremely grateful. Um, one is, I don't know your buddy that was on the aircraft with you. I know it's not Melon because who cares, but your other buddy <laughs> that uh, recognized that something was wrong and he took the time and was vulnerable to say, hey, man, let's talk about this. Uh, I don't know him. I wish I did. Uh, that's, a, that's a good friend. That's a real friend. Uh, so I think that's a huge lesson of itself in this story is hearing somebody recognize it and being able to speak up and say, and say, Hey, let's have this conversation. Uh, that's what we try to do here. So I want to commend your friend. I don't know where he's at, but good for him. And thank you. Uh, the other side too, is we've talked about this many times before is, uh, what our plan is for life and what, God has for us. There are two different things. Sometimes uh, we always want the things that we want, but the truth is it's all going to end at some point, whether it's the way we want it, whether it's the way it just kind of happens and we're, you know, we can argue with it, whatever, but either way, it's all going to come to an end. And what we can control is who are we when it does, you know, I, I always speak about, I can go to work tomorrow and get injured and my career is over. Well, that's not what I envisioned. I wanted to retire in a couple of years and I see myself moving on to other things and that's great. But is that going to happen that way? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I can affect today and who I am when it arrives. Uh, and another thing I kind of hear, and it's inspiring because, you know, I think all, all four of us are, are going through a portion of this and uh, you're definitely part of it, Morgs, is, you know, you mentioned about being an instructor and inspiring the next generation of pilots, you know, of people wanting to serve something bigger than themselves. Uh, you're a leader, you're a mentor, you're a coach in a lot of those, you know, military aspects, which I commend you on. But also, too, you know, what I believe, I, th I believe that God is handing you this card and he wants you to do the same thing, but for other types of people, not soldiers, not, not airmen, you know, and maybe your significance, your next chapter, you know, is to live a different style of life, but also to lead those people who are in the dark that are out there with you or worse. Right. Uh, and you can be that mentor, that beam of light, that pillar to them to do the same thing that you were doing so expertly with all the other pilots. And uh, that that is a blessing. Uh, I consider it a blessing to be able to pass on legacy. 
uh, and leave the world in a place that was better than when you came into it. Uh, and I feel that, uh, you know, as, as a military guy, when a commander gives you the hardest tasks, it's because they trust you. I trust in this person's character, their strength and what they can do to accomplish the mission. Well, in life, for me at least, and I hear your story, I think of my story, and I feel like God gives me the hardest tasks because he knows I can handle it. He knows that I can inspire others. I can bring other people out of the dark, and that's why I'm still here. So I relate that to, to your story. I know others listening could probably do the same. And uh, I just I just want to commend you, Morgs. Um, you have a beautiful life, a beautiful soul. Uh, I love how you communicated everything. I, I, I think you, you know, I, I'm against book writing, but you should write a book. Man. <laughs> it's beautiful. So just thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this, man. This is great. I'm, I'm going to go out on a build with Rico and talk to him about this. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful Sunday here. So thank you. All right. Thank you so much for uh, the kind words, Mike. A um, couple of real quick ripper charges. I've been warned warning you about this offline before we started, but um, I'm encouraged by my mental health treatment to choose a mission, personal mission. And being military, I thought, uh, we have mission and values all the time. Um, I actually got on board and did it. And uh, it's pretty simple. My mission is to help the next generation be the best they can at their mission. And uh, another little side project for uh, another conversation. I'm a big believer in the random act of kindness. So by sharing some of my good fortune with strangers or people who are stuck or otherwise less fortunate randomly, um, we can all spread a bit of love and positivity in the world and remind everybody that when the chips are down, things can get better. Oh, Jug, I think that I don't think there's any better way to finish off a pretty amazing um, journey, a pretty amazing conversation from someone who I had uh, the privilege to serve with early in my career and he's gone on to the, the absolute pinnacle of military aviation in Australia, as uh, Mike alluded to, and then just to finish it right there. So thanks for coming on, Morgs. Thanks for sharing your story. You'll never know how far these ripples go. There'll be people listening who you'll never see and you'll make a difference to, much like uh, Ashley and uh, Rico and other guests that you've listened to. So thanks for coming on. And for all of our listeners out there, if you, uh, if you can't get something to apply in your own life out of that, you know, write us an email and we'll, <laughs> I'll send you a summary. All right. See you next week.